Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Um, just jump right in. We're in part two of Storyline. As we're heading up to Easter, we're taking a look at Jesus in the Old Testament. And so many times when we take the word of God, we will take it and, and we break it into the, the, the two main points, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we see the story in the Old Testament as one kind of piece. And then we see the story in the New Testament of Jesus and his life and death and burial, resurrection, and then the formation of the church. We see that as another story. But what I'm hoping to do over the next several weeks is that we're going to open our eyes to the totality of the entire message from Genesis to Revelations, that there is a common thread running all the way through, and that common thread is Jesus. And we saw last week um, in John chapter 5, Jesus is having a discussion with some of the religious people because he has referred to himself as the Son of God, and they get all offended. And he says, I only do what my Father tells me to do, and I only do what I see him doing. And, and there's this discourse and conversation that's taking place. And, and he begins to tell about the things that are witnesses to who he is. He talks about his teachings and his miracles. He talks about John the Baptist. And he even says that the scripture, that the, the, the scriptures that they have been reading are also a witness. And he makes the statement in verse 39. He says, you search the scripture because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to who? Me, He says, the scriptures, everything that you read in the scripture now, in this time, the scripture that he's referring to is the Old Testament, because that was the scripture that was written at that time, and that's what they had, the, the religious leaders studied, and he's saying, everything that you're reading, you're looking for the Messiah to come, but everything that you're reading points back to me, and we talked about last week that we see Jesus in the Old Testament, and that every story, every character, um, every event in some way whispers his name and we see him showing up in the Old Testament as found as the angel of the Lord, that he shows up pre-incarnate, um, which means before his birth, he shows up for a moment um, in different events as the, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the. And so a, a lot of times we look at that as, as Jesus showing up in that space and time in that moment. And then we see him foretold through prophecies um, in Isaiah, there's like prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about Jesus's birth and his death. And then we also see him, which we'll talk about today, foreshadowed in events and in the heroes that we read about and in things that we see as imagery. Jesus is a symbol all throughout the Old Testament. And so we're going to look today at really one of my favorite stories in, in the Old Testament, and it's the story of, of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And this whole story takes place, it's, it, it's a lot to read, um, from chapters 12 all the way to chapters 25, and it's a story um, of a, 
I want to say young man, but he's not. He's an older gentleman, him and his wife. Um, his name at this time is Abram, and his wife's name is Sarai. And he's about 75 years old at this point. She's a little bit younger. And God comes to Abram at this point, and, and he asks him to do something in, in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, look, I want you to go to the land that I will show you. So he's just saying, look, I just want you to to, to to start moving, and I'll give you directions as you go. Most guys, that's that's how we prefer to travel, right? Is look, I'm just going to get on the road, and wherever the road takes us, there we are. Um, women, like you guys, you want to have turn by turn by turn, and then you want an alternate route as well in case those turns don't work, or at least my wife does anyways. But I've talked to a couple of you guys. Like there's, there's one couple in particular here that they were on a trip to like South Carolina, and on the way there, the trip got changed and canceled what they were going for. And they're like, all right, I don't want to go home. Where do you want to go? So they went to Arizona. Like, like they didn't go home and change. They just went the complete other directions. And so God calls Abraham in this way. He says, look, I want you to leave and I will take you to the place that I will show you. So he hadn't quite showed him yet. And then he makes him this promise and he says, look, I will give you many descendants and you are going to be blessed by many nations, and you are in turn going to be a blessing to many nations. And what you have to understand at this point, guys, is like Abraham didn't have any kids. He's 75, and he doesn't have any children at this point. And God says, I'm going to bless you with many descendants. Well, if you're going to have many descendants, where do you have to start? With one. <laughs> He's like, look, I don't even have one to get this ball rolling. And so then we see in Genesis chapter 15, God shows up again, and, and I love the way the passage puts it. It says, sometime later, God showed back up. Anybody ever felt that way? Like God comes to you and he says he's going to do a work and then you don't hear anything. It's like crickets for years, weeks, months, or whatever. And sometime later in Abram's life, God shows back up and he says, greetings, I will protect you. I will be your mighty shield and your great reward. And, and Abraham hears that and he's probably just like, where you been? <laughs> like, what good, and he makes this statement, what good are all your blessings when I don't have a single son to leave my name to, to leave all of my um, inheritance to? And he says, I guess I'll just leave it to one of my servants. And God is like, no, again, I am going to give you more descendants. And, and I love the story in kind of the last part of this chapter and that that. Abram is in the tent when he's having this conversation with God. And the scripture is very clear. It says that God takes him outside of his tent. Because sometimes we get stuck in our tent, right? And that's all that we can see. And so God takes him outside of his situation, outside of his tent, and then tells him to look up. And as he's looking up, God speaks to him and says, the descendants that you will have will outnumber the stars that you see. And in the back of Abram's mind, probably like you and I, he's like, but I ain't even got a son. I'm like, what? I know how this works, God. I don't even have a single son. And so more time goes on in Genesis 17. God moves beyond a promise to Abraham and then makes a lasting covenant with him. And, and, and a covenant is an everlasting, never-ending sacrificial relationship. We talked about this in our XOXO series, that a marriage is a never-ending sacrificial relationship. And so it says that God enters into a binding covenant with Abraham, which means that, that he is going to, without a doubt, fulfill his promise. And at this point, guess how old Abraham is? 99 years old. And so he got the promise at 25, and now 24 years. Some of you guys aren't even 24 years old yet, right? And so he's been waiting longer than what you've been alive 
for the child that was promised. And I know some of us in here have been waiting for a long time for things. Probably very few of us. There may be a few that have waited 24, 25 plus years, but Abraham is still holding on to this. And so God tells him, he says, look, um, come next year, I'm going to come back and you're going to have a kid. And he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. And he says, when I come back next year, you will have a kid. And Abraham laughs and he says, look, I'm going to be 100 next year. And I don't know if you know how things work, but some of my things aren't working in order for that to happen. It's like, how is that, like, like, how is that going to happen, God? And so Sarah, he, God shows up again. God shows up again, and this time Sarah overhears Abraham talking to God, and, and, and God is promising him again. Look, this time next year, you're going to have a child. And verse 10, it says, I will return, and your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening. And we're going to look in Genesis chapter 21. It'll be be on, the, on the screen. Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. And so the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And this, this is a key statement. Underline this in your scripture. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named his son Isaac. The Lord kept his word. Underline that. The Lord kept his word. This happened just in the time. And that's what like, I want us to, to understand as, as we continue in the story that, that, that God is bound by his word. That when he makes a promise, guess what he's, he's going to do? He's going to do what, guys? Keep it. And a lot of times we get caught up in the time frame of the keeping. But he's not bound by time. Right? He is the beginning. He is the end. And when God actually does something, he goes to the end to finish it and then goes back to the beginning to start the work. And I know that's hard for our, our finite mortal minds to wrap our, our minds around, but I don't know what promises God has placed in your heart over the last few weeks, over the last few months, maybe over the last few years, but it seems like another year has passed, another week has passed, another month has passed, like all this time has passed. And, and there may be times when you, where you come to God when he shows back up and he's like, God, what, what good are all your promises? You, you're not showing up in the way that I thought you would. And so finally... It happened just as God said it would when he said it would. Now, if you notice all the way leading up, he didn't give Abraham and Sarah a, a time frame. We're looking for the time frame, but when he first got the promise, he just said it's gonna happen. And Abraham's like, great. In Abraham's mind, he's probably thinking next week, right? And it's like, and so a year passes, like, all right, God, next year, I'm not getting any younger. And so it wasn't until 24 years later that God gave him the time frame. And it's even for us, like in 2009, we had the first vision of, of starting Avenue Church, or was an Avenue Church at the time in our mind, but we thought, man, let's move to Murfreesboro and start a church. In 2009, it wasn't until 10 years later that we moved, and I'm 10 years older, and I have three kids instead of one, and I'm just like, Lord, why couldn't it have been in 2009? Because you guys weren't here yet. Come on. I needed you guys here, right? But we get caught up in the time frame. And God's more concerned about fulfilling the promise than about when it happens. We're more concerned about when it happens. And so even as we read in this story, we see the parallel between Jesus and, and Isaac. And, and what I want you to understand is Isaac and Jesus were both miraculous births. 
if you want to bookend it, Jesus and, and, and Isaac were both miraculous births. When you look at, at, at the birth of, of Isaac in Genesis 18, um, Sarah laughs to herself when she hears God telling Abraham again, look, I'm coming back next year and you're going to have a son. And, and Sarah overhears it and, and she laughs silently to herself. And how can a worn out woman like myself enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband is so old? And so like she says this to herself and she's laughing and the Lord in that, in that moment says, why did your wife Sarah laugh? And Sarah's not in the conversation. She's in the tent. She's around the corner. He's like, why is Sarah laughing? And Sarah thinks to herself, I didn't laugh. But guess what she did? She just lied to God, right? And so like God says, oh, oh no, you did laugh. And so I just kind of picture that conversation playing out and she's like trying to cover herself up and, and God is just like very deadpan. He's just like all serious. Oh no, you laughed. And so she's just kind of looking at him and they're like blinking eyes. And, and so, you know, he's not, he's like, what? What are you going to say now? I heard you, right? And so she just kind of walks away. And I always, like, I read the Bible kind of colorfully sometimes like a cartoon. Um, but I, I envision like having that conversation with my kids and I catch them in a lie. God's the same way with us when he catches us in a lie. It's like, no, I heard you. I know what you were thinking. You laughed. I know you did. And so... Sarah says this, says, I'm too old to have a child. But then we fast forward to Luke chapter one, when Gabriel shows up to profess and to prophesy Jesus's birth and says that, tells Mary, you have found favor with God that you are gonna become pregnant with a child. And Mary's like, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And so they're both in this sense, like how can this happen? Sarah's too old, Mary's too young and is not married. What's supposed to happen for that to happen isn't happening. <laughs> but they both have a child miraculously. And God's response to Sarah says this. He says this, um, in Genesis 18, 14. The angel of the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And to Mary, his response is, for nothing is impossible with God. And so in both circumstances, it's a miraculous birth. Nothing is impossible with God. Look at your neighbor and say, nothing is impossible with God. Now, now where the story gets a little crazy when you look at the life of Isaac and in comparison to how he is a Christ-type figure of Jesus in the Old Testament is, this, is, is the next kind of phase of his life. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is again propositioned by God to step out on faith, to do something that is completely unheard of, some, like way um, scarier, way more difficult than moving to another land, another city without clear direction. God comes to him in Genesis chapter 22, and, and we're going to read bits and pieces of this, but I'm going to tell the whole story because it's, it's several verses, but um, in Genesis chapter 2, God comes to Abraham again and asks him to give up the very gift that God has given him. It says in verse one, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, yes, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah 
go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And so not only do we see that, look, I want you to go to the mountain that I will show you, which is similar to what he told Abram to do before. Go to the land I will show you. Now I want you to go to the next place that I will show you. But along the way, I want you to take your son with you, the son that you love, your only son. Yes, Isaac, and I want him back. I want you to sacrifice him as an offering, as a burnt offering to me. And like, that is hard for us to fathom, that God would ask something so great of someone, especially when they've waited for so long. And like, if, if, if you're new, first time hearing this story, like that's why I encourage you, go back to the New Testament and read the New Testament and then go read the Old Testament and you see it with a better lens because what Abram is being asked to do is nothing greater than what God is willing to do. And sometimes we think when God asks us to do things, we have to keep in mind that he's never gonna ask us to do anything greater than what he has already done. And so the story goes on. They get their supplies together. They leave out the next morning early and they, they get the donkey and they chop the wood and they get the fire and they, they take some servants. And then on the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. In verse five, he tells the servants, stay here with the donkey the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Man, that is a bold statement. He's not saying, we will go and worship, and I will come back. He's saying, we will go and worship, and then what? We will come back. And so he's, he's trusting God. He has seen God's faithfulness. Even though he doubted early on over the last 25 years, he's seen God's faithfulness, and he's believing. He says, the boy and I will travel further and then we will come back. And so they get to where they're supposed to go and they, they build the altar. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulder while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And Abraham's response was, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. And so think about this. You have your son and you know what you're about to do. And not only are you wrestling with what you're about to do, but now your son is carrying the very wood that he's gonna be laid on that's gonna be the sacrificial fire. And again, Abraham is trusting that, that God's gonna provide, God's gonna show up. He's gonna, he's gonna hold true to the promise that he made 25 years ago. And so they get to the top. It says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. When they arrived at the place where God told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son and sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And his response was, yes, here I am. His first response when God called him, here's what I want you to do, his response was, yes, here I am. And in the moment of faithfulness, his response is still the same. Yes, here I am. And then he looks and it says that he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me, even your son. Then Abram looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. 
And so he took the ram and sacrificed it as the burnt offering. Again, what did he do? He looked up. And so many times we get ourselves out of trouble if we would just look up. In the beginning, Abraham is stuck in the tent saying, oh God, where are you? Where are your promises? God takes him out of the tent and says, look up. Look at the stars in the middle of, of, of being faithful to God and knowing like we read this in black and white, but there's a lot more color. I know as a father and you as a father and a mother, there's all these thoughts going through your mind as you're raising the knife, as you're about to be, you know, like, like hold true to what God's called you to do. And he says, yes, I'm here. And then when he looks up, he sees God's provision. I guarantee you we would see God's provision and God's promises way more clear if we would look up more than what we do. And so when we look in this story and we see Jesus and Isaac, we see Jesus carrying the wood just as Isaac carried the wood. But first, let's, let's start here. Jesus and Isaac were both only sons. Jesus and Isaac were both only sons. God tells Abraham, he says, take your son, your what? Your only son, the one that you love. And then we know in, in John chapter three, verse 16, the verse that Tebow put under his eyes, right? The verse that almost anyone knows is that for God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. And so Isaac and Jacob, or Isaac and Jesus were both their father's only son. Um, Jesus and Isaac both carried the sacrificial wood. In Genesis, we see Abraham place the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. In John chapter 19, verse 7, it says, So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place, to the hill called Golgotha. In Isaac, we also see Jesus in that he also quietly obeyed his father. In Matthew 26, verse 39, it's when Jesus is, is about to be arrested and he's just finished um, the last supper as we now know it. The disciples didn't know that was the last supper. We look back and we now know it's the last supper because it's the last time he would in his earthly body break bread with his disciples. And after they finished, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and and it says that he left some of the disciples at one place and he went on a little further and prayed and his prayer was, was this, his father, if there is anything that you can do to take this cup of suffering away from me, please do it. But the prayer didn't stop there. He continued and said what? Not my will, but your will be done. And then we see this in Isaac displayed. We see this in Isaac in that, that when his, his father placed the wood on him and they walked on together and he said, we have the fire, Father. We have the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide the burnt offering. Isaac probably wasn't like, he was probably trusting his dad, but also like, dad, I'm sorry, whatever I did, <laughs> like I take it back, whatever I did, please. You know, remember the first time like my, my stepdad gave me, gave me a spanking, went to the barn. Um, I'd never had a spanking at this point in my life. I was five. I was spoiled, and I remember like walking to the barn not knowing what was about to happen, um, and we had a dogwood tree on the way to the barn, and he stopped at the dogwood tree and broke off a branch, 
And then he trimmed that branch a little bit and threw those little branches down. I thought, Dad has a stick. I need a stick. And so I pick up the little sticks he had thrown down. <laughs> I had no idea what was about to happen. And we get to the barn, and he tells me to stand there. I'm like, cool. What, what's about to happen? Like, am I getting a toy? Like, I didn't know. And he tells me to put my stick down. And then he said, bend over. And when he said, bend over, I knew what was about to happen. And he laid into me <laughs> in the worst way. And so I picture Isaac. Not knowing kind of what's about to happen, God, like, Dad, what, what are you doing in this? And, and we read this sometimes from the standpoint of Isaac as a child. But when you do a study, and most Jewish traditions say Isaac is anywhere between the ages of 13 and early 30s. I know that's a large age gap, right? It's like, just, just pick one, right? But, but most Jewish traditions actually believe and think when you look at timelines that he's in his later 20s to early 30s. And so he's basically a grown man. And so he could probably get away from dad, <laughs> all right? When, when, when dad puts the wood on the altar, and begins to tie him up and place him on the altar, putting him on the altar, altar, and then tie him up. At some point, Isaac would be like, "Look, old old man, <laughs> all right, you were a hundred when you had me. Now you're like 130. I'm pretty sure I can outrun you." Okay, but but he did not fight it. He surrendered to his father. Okay, and the next thing that we see when when at the end of the story, in both stories. God provides a substitute. In Genesis, in the story of Isaac, we see Abraham looking up and he sees the ram and the ram replaces his son on the altar. And Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. And to this day, people still use that name. So Abraham was given a substitute of a ram for his son, but here's where the story gets really good, is Christ has given himself as a substitute for us. Christ has given himself as a substitute for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that you and I could be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, we are healed. Christ gave himself as a substitute for us. And this is the truth in that. In that what began with Isaac as a promise God completed through Jesus. What God began in Isaac as one son, a miraculous son, generations and centuries later, God has completed that promise through another son, his son, Jesus. And, and I started last week telling you guys that, that this series is from a child's devotional book, <laughs> a child's story Bible. And it's, it's the Jesus story Bible book, the storybook Bible, and, and it says that, that every story whispers his name. And I'm going to read the story of, of Isaac being offered as a sacrifice from, from this paraphrase, because I love the imagery of it. It's just a couple of pages. It says, God knew that his rescue plan could only work if Abraham trusted him completely. God had to make sure Abraham would do whatever he asked so a few years later, God asked Abraham to give him a present. Abraham liked giving presents to God. He gave God animals as sacrifices, and they were a way to tell God that I love you. But this time, God didn't want a lamb. He didn't want a goat. 
God wanted Abraham to give him something more, much more. He wanted Abraham to give him his son, his only son, the son that he loved, Isaac. Put his boy on the altar and kill him as a sacrifice? How could God want him to do such a terrible thing? Abraham didn't understand, but he knew that God was his father who loved him. And so Abraham trusted him. Early the next morning, Abraham and Isaac set off. They climbed the steep stony trail up the mountain. Isaac carried the wood on his back and his father carried the knife and the fire. Dad, Isaac said, we have everything except we forgot the lamb for the sacrifice. God will give us a lamb, son, Abraham said. They built an altar and laid the wood on top and Abraham asked his son to climb on top of the wood. Isaac didn't understand. But he knew his father loved him. And so he trusted him. He climbed up on the altar and Abraham tied his boy to the wood. Isaac didn't struggle. He didn't try to run away. He just lay there quietly and didn't make a sound. Everything was ready. Abraham took the knife, tears filling his eyes, pain filling his heart. His hand was shaking. He lifted the knife into the air. Stop, God said. Don't hurt the boy. I want him to live and not die. I know now that you love me because you would have given me your only son. Abraham felt his heart leap with joy. He unbound Isaac and folded his arms around him. He sobbed greatly and his whole body shook. Scalding tears filled his eyes and for a long time they just stayed there like that, holding each other, the boy and his dad. And suddenly Abraham saw a ram caught in the brambles, the sacrifice. God had given him what they needed just in time. The ram would die so Isaac wouldn't have to. And so Abraham sacrificed the ram instead of his son. And as they sat there on the mountaintop, watching the fire die in the cool night air, Abraham looked up at the stars sparkling in the night sky. God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something that night. God wants his people to live and not die. God wants to rescue his people and not punish them. But they must trust him. And one day, someone will be born in your family, God promised them. And he will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way to tell his people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill, carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle. He wouldn't run away. Who was he? He was God's son, the only son, the Lamb of God. Many years later, the promise was started with Isaac, but it was fulfilled with Jesus. And, 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 and we see this in the end. It says, when Isaac is the promised son to Abraham, Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. That each and every single promise God has made you, has made me, has made this church, each and every single promise is wrapped up in Jesus the scripture even says that, that, that in Jesus is every amen and amen 
and a big amen, that everything that we could want or need is found in him and in him alone. And, and, and just, just thinking about that story and, and thinking back to where Abraham was stuck in his tent saying, God, what good are all your promises when I don't even have one son? And that God took Abraham outside of his tent, outside of his situation, and said, look up. And that Abraham, in the midst of his obedience, wondering, worrying, where is God in this? Abraham looked up and saw God's provision. Here's what I want you today. I want you to look up. I want you to look up and see that God has already provided and that he is providing even in this moment. And, and scripture tells us this, that, that God is faithful to his promises, that he keeps his promises to a thousand generations, that the promises that are for you are not just for you, but they're for your children. And for your grandchildren, I don't know, like we don't like to think about our grandchildren, right? Especially me. But here's the amazing thing about it. Is scripture is very clear that when we come into relationship with Jesus, that it's in relationship with him, that we are an heir and joint heir with Jesus. But not only that, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we are then grafted in as a descendant of Abraham. See, we look for God to do things physically, but he wants to do things spiritually and supernaturally. And so, yes, Abraham's promise is being fulfilled even now. Every time someone says yes to Jesus, another descendant is added to Abraham's lineage. Every time someone turns from death to life, another descendant is added to Abraham's lineage. And it just would blow his mind if he could have seen that and understood that in the moment. And so that's why I want you to understand that, that, that God may fulfill a promise in some small way, in just one son, while all your friends, and this is something in the next chapter of that, when, when Abraham comes down off the mountain, at the end of that chapter, we get a list of, of all the sons and daughters Abraham's brothers have. And how easily would it have been for Abraham to look at all the sons and daughters that his brothers had and be ungrateful for the one son that God had given him? Man, like, like God has wrecked me over the last few months with that verse because I didn't realize how much I compare myself to others until I planted, until I planted a church. And then I try to like gauge my success and what God is doing in me and what I see my brothers in the ministry doing. And instead, I bring my eyes back to the Isaac that God's given me here with you guys and not knowing and like you guys are a part of that and not knowing what this church is going to impact generations from now and what your life and your yes and your trusting for your Isaac is going to bring in your life and in your family generations from now. And it starts with your Isaac the answering of that one promise, whatever it is. But generations later, God's still fulfilling his promise through Jesus. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment and, and, and I want to pray uh, for those of you who need to join the descendants of Abraham 
And it says that all of his promises then become our promises. All the inheritance that are his then become ours. And that happens through a mighty or a quiet yes to Jesus. And simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. That I've tried to do things on my own, that I've tried to walk my way and that doesn't seem to be working. Or, or maybe you're carrying the weight and the guilt and the shame of things that, that maybe nobody else knows. And you wonder if God can accept you because you don't think other people will accept you if they knew God accepts you and loves you unconditionally. Scripture says that he came at just the right time while we were already dead in our sins. He's not waiting on you to get anything together and make any preparations before you come to him. He's already made all the preparations. And he's just waiting on you to say yes. And if that's you today, I just take a moment. I just want to ask you just to lift your hand and you can put it right back down just as an acknowledging I need a savior, that, that, that I need Jesus to make some things right in my life. And then for the rest of us, here's what I want to do. We're going to pray in just a moment. But, but, it, but if you are believing for an Isaac, and I don't know what that is in your life, it could be an actual child. It could be a promotion. It could be a breakthrough. It could be overcoming a sin that you are just believing God for that. Would you lift your hand or whatever, whatever that is? If you're believing still for an Isaac to show up in your life. God to, to, to hold true to a promise that he's made. Awesome. All right, look up here at me, guys. Here's what we're going to do. For those of you who raised your hand and said, look, I'm giving Jesus my life today. What you're going to do in the next few moments is, is, is something that we call repent. And basically that's asking God to forgive you from your sins. But it's more than just lip service. It's then a commitment to repent actually means to turn another direction. And so you're going your way repent, you then turn and you walk God's way. It says that by the com confession of our mouth and by the belief in our heart that Christ is Lord, that we are saved, that, that we believe that he died for our sins, he was buried for our sins, he rose again for our sins, that you have to do nothing. And it's in that moment, scripture says that, that all is gone, that we are all made a new creation. And then for the rest of us, I want to pray that, that you would hold true trusting God in whatever you're believing him for. Can we pray together? Father, I just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful, that it changes us from the inside out. God, you saw the hands that were lifted in this room today, God, and I'm sure there's others that you know their hearts, God. You know their cry for you. God, I pray that in this moment, you would wrap your arms around them. God, that any ounce of guilt and shame and insecurity would just fall off like an old robe and that they would put on the new robe of sonship and daughtership and knowing that, that they are not who their enemies say that they are, but they are who you say that they are. God, as they're saying, Jesus, I give you my life. God, that they were picking up their new life in you and all old is gone and all things are made new. God, give them the courage and the boldness and the confidence now to walk in a way that, that, that honors you, that follows you, that trusts you. God, put a desire in their heart to not just know your word. God, open their eyes to understand it and to walk it out. 
God, there are many of us in this room that we're waiting on our Isaac. But God, our Isaac is just a foreshadow of something better that you've already done for us. God, that we would not overlook the promise that we have in your son by waiting for the Isaac, that, that, that we would not neglect the eternal life and the gifts that we already have in your son, the fulfillment of every promise that we already have in your son, that everything we need is found in him and in his word and in his spirit. But God, we know that you even want to give us the one that we would trust your goodness. When we find ourselves in a funk, in our tent, in the middle of obedience and scared and worried, God, whisper in our hearts to look up to see you and to trust you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's give God a hand. Bye.